0: Good morning, Church on the Rock. Good morning, Rashad. Amen. My name is Rashad. I am the pastor here, one of the pastors here at Church on the Rock. And uh, we do that to make sure you're here and that you're present and that you're focused. Especially today, uh, I need your energy, and I want to give you all of me and my energy. In fact, I have an energy drink specifically for this service. (laughs) But but, um, also, on top of all of that... uh, it's a, it's a really unique approach to scripture today. We're doing something that, that isn't normally done on a Sunday. It's more, it's more done on like a Bible study type day. So that's why we only have one song, so I can have more time to talk. And that's pretty much what's going on today. So, hey, I need you to give it to me as much as you can. I need your energy. I'm going to say good morning, Rashad. You say good morning, Church on the Rock. Good morning, Church on the Rock. Good morning, Rashad. All right, and I said that backwards, too. I just realized this so, Hey, Whatever. Um, It's it's the drink. I'm blaming the drink. And I didn't bring my iPad up here. Okay, leave it there. Let's go. All right, so we are in Romans. Five-year journey. Yes, five-year journey through Romans. In fact, we're on week eight, and we're just now getting to verse number three. All right, all right. We're doing good. We're doing good. But the reason is because of this. In the beginning of Romans, we're trying to build a foundation so that when we get further down the line, we don't have to stop for some of the things that should be basic understandings of the Bible okay so we've been journeying through Romans we're on week eight and we just want to look at the gospel and understand the necessary evidence we should see when we're dealing with the gospel of God we said a couple weeks ago or about four weeks ago that anything can be gospel right anything can be good news anything so what makes the gospel of God the gospel of God and not the good news of Lauren or the good news of Rashad the good news of John or whatever? And there's necessary evidence we have to see to prove that it's God's gospel. So when we read Romans 1, 1 through 3, it opens up like this. Paul says, hey, Paul, a slave or bond servant of Christ Jesus, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Then he starts describing that gospel. It is promised beforehand through his prophets, in the Holy Scriptures. When we looked at that, we said so uh, necessary evidence we have to see regarding the gospel of God is that it comes from his prophets. It was promised by him. So it's his promises through his prophets in his pages, which was the Holy Scripture part. But then today we're looking at this phrase concerning his son. All right? So not only is it his promises, his prophets, from his pages, but it's about his person, Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, I don't want you to take my word for it. So we're going to look at scripture so that we can prove that because all we, all we do here at Church on the Rock is force you to figure out what you believe. I don't want to force any of my beliefs on you. I want you to know this for yourself. So I got to give you context first we got to go back and find out what Jewish culture was like so that you can understand why going through all the books of the Old Testament is necessary to see Jesus in it. So anybody got a five-year-old? Any five-year-olds out here? No five-year-olds? Anybody got a five-year-old? Six-year-old? Six-year-old? You got 6 year olds Six-year-old? No? no? Okay, okay. So um, <laughs> five to six-years-old in the Jewish community, they go to their elementary school, which was called Bet. Safare, so okay, Bet Safare. So that was their elementary school. When they get there, uh, the teacher of that elementary school would take honey, and there, there'd be like their their little desk would be like a slate, and they would put honey like in this S form all the way down the slate, okay. And then when the teacher came in, he would hold up the scroll. Or the Old Testament, like this for the five and six-year-olds, and say, hey, take your hand and rub the slate of honey. So they would rub the slate of honey, and then he'd say, now taste your hand, and they would taste the honey, and, and honey was like, like Skittles, right? Like honey was awesome, right? You don't get honey every day. It was a delight. So they would, they would lick the honey, and he would say, may the word of God be as sweet as honey to your lips. Now, this was the kid's introduction to the scriptures. Like the same way, if you go back there and you're serving back there, and you're like, hey, I want you to memorize John 3.16, a kid probably gonna look at you and be like, What you gonna give me if I memorize John 16? John 3.16. I'll give you a butterfinger. And they boom, they memorize it like that, right? In <laughs> the same way that honey. Oh, wow, they're associating the the honey and the taste of the honey and the the goodness of the honey with the Scriptures. This is how, boom, we got their attention, right? So from 5 till about 10, the kids would learn the first five books of the Old Testament. And when I say learn it, I don't mean be able to quote one here, quote one there. I mean they would learn the entire first five books of the Old Testament word for word, be able to quote it to you front to back. Like, nothing. We're like, that's crazy. Five, six, seven, eight-year-olds could do that? Well, they know Baby Shark, don't they? (laughs) Right? And you can play a couple songs from the radio, and they know them radio songs real well, don't they? Right? Right? So this is, it's not that our kids can't do it, it's just that we don't push them to do things like this. But this was school for them. This was elementary school. So that all they did was learn the Old Testament, and, and, and then after they learned the, those first five books, they would go to the next school, which was kind of like middle school, and that school was called Bet Talmud, and when they got into Bet Talmud, they would go and learn the remainder of the Old Testament. So they've, they've memorized the first five books, now they've memorized the rest of the Old Testament, and they know it by heart. At that time, at the end of that, so 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 area, then women, and this is just the culture, women would go learn how to be mothers, how to be home takers, how to be women. This is where Mary probably left school, and this is probably right around the time when she, uh, you know, was pregnant with Jesus. Men, or the boys, who weren't good enough or, or didn't understand the scriptures as well, like, yeah, they passed, but they barely passed, like me, like... I graduated with a 1.9 from Brownsburg. Like, those people, (laughs) me, (laughs) had to go home and learn their father's trade, which in my case would have been horrible because I hate working with my hands. But they had to go home and learn their father's trade. The best of the best went on to the high school stage, which was called Bet Midrash. Okay? Now, in Bet Midrash, you've already memorized the entire old Testament now you're just at this this jeopardy knowledge stage where if I give you a question you answer it with a question so I'm looking at Dave I say Dave what's two plus two don't answer yet because somebody answered it threw me off two plus two is four in your mind right but you would say what's well, eight minus four right four yes so two plus two is the same as eight minus four this is how they talk scripture they would they would Like give you a scripture and expect you to give a cross-reference that's pointing to that scripture. And this is how well they knew the scriptures. And only the best of the best in the middle school stage went to this high school stage. But after that, when they're about 16, 17, 18, now it's time for the Harvard, the college stage, per se. And this was where they would go and look to choose a, a, a rabbi a rabbi to follow, to be their disciple. So they would leave and go and these rabbis were like the LeBron James of the community like everybody wanted to be a rabbi because since you were five you've been looking at this scripture and saying wow I wish I knew it like the rabbis in the community who were the best of the best so this is what they wanted to do. Well what ends up happening is you would go to the rabbi and you'd say can I follow you? Can I please be your disciple because I've heard about you. You're amazing. Can I follow you? And the rabbi would test them to see if they were worthy to follow them. And if they weren't, then that disciple would have to, or that potential disciple would have to go back and just ply their father's trade, basically go work. um, Because no other rabbi would want you if you're somebody's rejected rabbi. Like, if I'm a rabbi and you're a rabbi, Peter and we have two different understandings of the Scripture, and you rejected that person, I don't want him. That's your leftovers. You know what I mean? I don't want your leftovers. So, so then I, th- that person, that, that student would have to go back and just be somebody that works. Now, that, that, there's two things that are very important that set up everything for this. First and foremost, when Jesus goes and tells people to follow him, all of those people, none of them are disciples of a rabbi which says that they all failed at some point, the standards of the world. All of them were sent back saying, you're not smart enough. You're not good enough. You don't understand it enough. So when you hear Jesus say, remember, I chose you. You didn't choose me. Can you feel the, do you understand what that would have meant to them? Like, has anybody here been rejected from, like, ever been rejected? Yeah, yeah. Anybody ever been rejected? Okay, okay. After that rejection, here comes Jesus saying, I chose you. I don't care what the world said about you. I don't care what your transcripts say about you. I don't care what college rejected you. I don't care about your credit score. I choose you. That's the Jesus that came to them. Can you feel that? I choose you. So that's the first part of that. But the part that we're going to be focusing in on is this. Everybody in Jesus' time, who was an Israelite, who was a Jew, would have known the scriptures the same way we know simple math, the same way we know simple, simple ABCs, right? Re- if I ask you to say your ABCs, everybody in here, right, can say their ABCs, right? Right? All right, all right. Everybody can say that. Do we gotta sing it or are we good? Okay, all right. Everybody knows their ABCs in the same way, every Jew would have known the old testament front to back because this was what school was to them. That is important because you may think when Jesus keeps referring back to scriptures, you'd be like, well, how do they even know if that's true? They probably didn't know that verse. Yes, they did. Yes, they did. They absolutely knew what Jesus was saying when he goes, it was written, it was written. You thought it was this, but I'm telling you, they would have known exactly what he was talking about. We don't, we don't prioritize it like that, but in the context, they did. So when you look at a scripture like uh, John, give me the John verse, when you look at a scripture like this, where the Pharisees who were the best of the best, the Pharisees are like, yeah, you know scripture, but we know no scripture. You know what I mean? Like, like you know scripture, but we know no no scripture. That's how they were. That's how they, they, they were just the smartest, the greatest, and all that. Well, look, he looks at them and says, hey, Pharisees, you search the scriptures because you think that in them, the scriptures, you have eternal life. And that's a lot of us today. A lot of us can quote a whole lot of Scripture. We got a whole lot of theology, but still can't love our enemies. You come in here every Sunday. You serve. You give. You do all the checklist stuff. But the first time I tell you to forgive your spouse, I just can't do it. Mm Mm-hmm. So you you think that in your learning of the scripture or your giving or, or in your church attendance that you have eternal life? Mm-mm-mm-mm. See, he says it is these. What are these? The scriptures. It is these that testify about me, Jesus Christ. So all that in the scriptures of their time would have been just the Old Testament. They didn't have the New Testament. So it's just the Old Testament. All that stuff you know about the Old Testament, Shola. It's about me, Jesus. Y'all need Jesus. See that? Y'all need y'all word on purpose. I sure did. All right. Next verse. But look at this. In Luke 24, 27. You guys remember for Easter we did a walk to remember. Remember that? And we talked about uh, the road to Emmaus and there was these two disciples who were kind of defeated. Man, we thought he was the Messiah, but now he's dead and boo-hoo and everything we hoped in is conquered because he, he's dead. And then Jesus came in a way, in a form that they couldn't see him, but was talking to them. And after he asked them all these questions about why are you upset? And they're like, haven't you heard the Jesus cat we thought was the Messiah died and blah, blah, blah. He says this, Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, so Moses is the first five, and then all the prophets, the remainder of the Old Testament, he, Jesus, explained to them, the two defeated disciples, the things concerning himself in all the scriptures, the Old Testament. In other words, the hope that he gave them that restored their joy, that restored their faith, was simply looking at the Old Testament and showing them himself in those scriptures. So what we're going to do today, we're going to do the same thing. We're going to open up the Old Testament and go through all 39 books of the Old Testament, pulling out one scripture, maybe a little bit more than one in a couple of them, but mainly one one scripture for at least one scripture from each Old Testament book just just to show you that God's promise through his prophets in his pages all summarizes in one person Jesus Christ got me are you ready because we got to go all right Here's the thing. Leah has already been told. She will zip these up and send them to you. If you can't keep up with the notes, I have to try to go. That cricket's getting on my nerves, so I got to get moving, all right? And I got to get moving and get going. So stay with me. If you can't get every note, just focus on where we're at. This is an amazing, it's just an amazing morning, amazing morning. So with that said, we start with Genesis 315, the first book of the Bible. This is how it works. There's been the fall, and now God is talking to the Satan, or the serpent, and he says this, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He, her seed, shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. Right off the bat, look at this. Jesus is the promised seed that will bruise the serpent on the head. In Genesis 3, at the very beginning, God made a promise about the person of Jesus right there. He is the promised seed that will bruise the serpent or crush the serpent on the head. Genesis is done. Y'all see that? Y'all see that right there? All right, we're moving on. Exodus. Look at this. All right. So if you don't know anything about Exodus, uh, you're looking at the Israelites. They're in slavery in Egypt. And Moses goes and says to Pharaoh, who's the king, let my people go. And he don't do it. So here comes one plague. Here comes two plagues. Three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. And then the final plague was I am going to take the firstborn of everything living in Egypt. The firstborn of everything living in Egypt. But look at this. You're going to take a lamb, a pure lamb sacrifice it and the blood shall be assigned for you on the houses where you live and when I see the blood I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt so this is what that means for us when you're looking forward give me my thing give me my thing come on there it is right here Jesus is our Passover lamb and the blood God sees and his judgment passes over us look you ever heard somebody use that phrase I'm covered in the blood. Y'all heard that one, right? I'm covered in the blood. It sounds good, but a lot of us don't even know what that means. I'm covered in the blood. I don't know if I want to be covered in blood. Like, that's how we are, right? But look at this. But look at this. If you go back to this text, Jesus, the pure lamb, was sacrificed on the cross for us. And when you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, Not you, because I don't know about you, but I sinned yesterday. Anybody here sinned yesterday, messed up yesterday? Anybody sinned last week? Anybody sinned this past month, this year? I think all heads are in there somewhere. Okay, we've all messed up. All right, so how is it you will be able to stand before a holy God, a holy God who cannot look at sin? How will you be able to stand before him on Judgment Day when you messed up last night, when you messed up this morning? I tell you how, when you believe in Jesus, the sacrificial lamb, what happens is his blood covers you the same way the blood covered the doorpost. So when you get the judgment, you stand before him and he passes over you, not because of how good you were, not because of how much Bible you read, not because of how many times you came to church. He passes over you because of the work of his son. Can you not celebrate that? Man, like we should clap right there, right? He ignores you and sees the blood of his son and passes over you. Wow, Jesus is our Passover lamb. He is the blood on our doorpost in Exodus 12, 13. Going to the next one, Leviticus. Now, y'all know, anytime you try to read through the Bible, you get to Leviticus and you go, I'm done. <laughs> it was real good, and there's some good old action in, in, in Exodus, but now they're talking about building this and wearing that, and I'm just bored, right? Well, there's something in there about all of it. First and foremost, Leviticus 16, the entire chapter, is speaking of Aaron's ministry. Aaron is the brother of Moses, speaking on his ministry as the high priest. Jesus is that high priest. But then right here, uh, he would have to take two goats one, and I'm summarizing all of this. If you want more information, you got to read the book, okay? I'm sorry. you got to read the book. But this is what happens. He had to take two goats. One was sacrificed in. The other one, he said, the goat shall bear on itself all the iniquities uh, to, to a solitary land, and he shall release the goat in the wilderness. So the other goat, they would take all the iniquities, all the, all the sin of everybody, and put it on this goat and then send the goat out in the wilderness. This is where we get our word scapegoat. See that? This is where the scapegoat came from. This is what the scapegoat was. So Jesus is our high priest. That's the entire chapter 16, but he's also our scapegoat. And, you know, when you say, oh, that's the scapegoat, that's the one they put the blame on who didn't do anything. He didn't do nothing wrong, but we're going to put the blame on him. I remember my, my brothers and sisters were all my scapegoats. Every time I got in trouble, I blamed one of them because uh, they couldn't talk yet. So I was like, yeah. Uh, that right there, that, yeah, uh, Marquita broke it, and Keith is like, hi guy, hi guy, you know. So that, y'all, like, okay, sorry, all right. But the, the scapegoat, okay, scapegoat, that's what it is. All right, keep going. Numbers twenty-one. This is another one where you're like, man, I tried to read numbers. It was a whole lot of numbers, so I couldn't get through it because the numbers were boring. But well, there's an amazing story in chapter twenty-one. Basically, God has released these serpents, and they've come out and they've bitten you. Everybody's been bitten, 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 bitten. And Moses is pleading, like, you know, give us a way, give us a way to heal from this. And, and this is what happens. Then the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a standard, which is like a pole in a sense. And it shall come about that everyone who is bitten, when he looks at it, the serpent, he will live. And Moses made a bronze serpent set it on a standard, and it came about that if a serpent bit any man when he looked to the bronze serpent, he lived. Jesus actually quotes this in the book of John, but Jesus is our bronze serpent lifted up so that we must look at him to live. Right there in that text, he is that bronze, he was, the serpent represented a curse, right? Jesus, in a sense, took on our sins, the curses, uh, he took all that on the cross, was raised up on the cross and those who believe in the resurrection those who look to him will live eternally live so that in a sense is foreshadowing what jesus was going to do can you see that can you see that everybody see that all right we're going to keep it moving we're going to keep it moving deuteronomy says the lord your god this is moses talking the lord your god will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you from your countrymen you shall listen to him jesus is the prophet like Moses can you see how if you simply read the text you don't have to have some crazy degree to understand this you only need to know who Jesus is and be able to say does this match the Savior and then you can start placing these names on Jesus as well all right I wish Jesus was the cricket killer okay now <laughs> Joshua two seventeen. a lot of people look to Joshua and, and would say like, oh, the commander of the Lord's army, uh, the one that led them into the promised land. And those are good. And I want you to understand, every time I'm pulling one of these scriptures out, there's more than these. This is just what I found in my study. If you went and did the same study, you could have 39 completely different scriptures. And that's fine because it's all true. I'm just pointing out what I studied this week to encourage you to go do studies for yourself. Once again, don't believe me, okay? Don't believe me. Go back and read these things for yourself and say, oh, that's yeah, that's exactly what it is. Okay, so I chose this story because it's different than the one that's normally chosen. Um, What happens is uh, some spies were sent into this land, paraphrase once again, and they kind of got caught by this woman named Rahab. But Rahab, who was a part of the, the land that they were spying on, was like, "I know your God. <laughs> I know you. He's a bad boy. I believe in him. He's the real deal. He's all that in a bag of chips. So look, look. I don't want them problems, right? Like I don't, I don't want them problems with your God. So I'm gonna help you guys get out of here." But just make sure when y'all come back and your God gives you this land, y'all, y'all don't touch my people. You know, like, don't touch me. Don't like, like, spare me, right? So look at this. The man said to her, we shall be free from this oath to you which you have made us swear, unless when we come into the land... You tie this cord of scarlet thread in the window through which you let us down. So she let them down through a window so they could get back to their camp. And he says, and she made them swear. Swear that you won't, you know, mess up my house. Swear that you won't destroy me. Like, swear, because I know your God is the real deal. So she let them out, and they're like, we we swear to you, but... Unless you tie this scarlet thread in the window through which you let us down, gather to yourself into the house your father and your mother and your brothers and all your father's household. That's how we know which house not to mess up, right? So this is what Jesus is for us. Jesus is our scarlet cord of redemption. I mean, think about this. Think about what's going on in the world today. Uh, you got uh, Walmarts being shot up. Walmarts being shot up. You got the racism. You got you got. every time you turn on the news, somebody else is dead, right? And all this other craziness going on. How do you have any peace in this world? How do you have any peace in this? I don't know about you, but how could you have any hope or peace in this world? Unless you see Jesus as your scarlet cord of redemption. You see, here's the thing. I had to DJ my mama's party last night in the middle of the hood, okay? Um, I was talking to a Clinton, and Clinton said, whenever you see a state street in Indianapolis, you're probably in the hood. Like, we was on Delaware or Arlington or, you know, like Washington, uh, right? So, so check it out. But wasn't scared of nothing. Why? Because the most you can do is take my life. That's it. The most you can do is take my life. And if you take my life, Jesus is my scarlet cord of redemption. I got eternal life anyway. So there's nothing you can do to me. You see the power in that right there? My scarlet, he is, there's a scarlet cord of redemption wrapped around the window of my house. So whatever you do to my house, when you come in for me and mine, me, my wife, and my daughter, we good to go. We good to go. So do what you may please, but he's my scarlet cord of redemption. And then also the name Joshua itself is Yeshua, which is Jesus also. So like I just put Jesus is Joshua, like air quotes, like air quotes. All right, moving on. Judges. When the sons of Israel cried to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for the sons of Israel to deliver them. I need you to understand. Judges, for those of you who have never read it. It's not like Judge Judy, okay? It's not Judge Joe Brown. It's not Judge whatever, okay? That's not what Judges is in the Bible. We're laughing, but when I started out, I saw the book of Judges and said, I don't want to read about a whole bunch of court people in a gavel. That was me, all right? So you can laugh all you want, but this is where I started too. Judges were people. Go to my next slide. Judges was a leader chosen by God to deliver God's people. So a judge was a deliverer. So naturally, Jesus is our judge or deliverer. Okay? That's what the book of Judges is about. And in that one, in that one scripture, you see that Jesus is our judge and our deliverer. Going to the next one. Look at this. Ruth. Hey, read the book of Ruth if you haven't read it. Alright? It's got like If you can't find nothing on Netflix, you can't find nothing on Hulu, everything else is just reruns of everything else, the book of Ruth is the bomb. Read the book of Ruth. That's coming from somebody who don't like to read. I don't like to read. Read the book of Ruth. It is amazing. But specifically... Uh, Ruth is this Moabite, so she's not even an Israelite. She's a Moabite who married the son of a, of a woman named Naomi. Uh, the, the, uh, her, Naomi's husband died and her sons died, so now uh, Ruth is a widow in a sense. And she follows, she clings to Naomi and goes back to Bethlehem with Naomi as an outsider. And when she gets there, basically life is not that easy. You know, there's two women, no husband, all that stuff. And in the cultural context, not saying women couldn't do it on their own, okay? In the cultural context, this would have been hard. This would have been a major struggle. Well, then there's a man named Boaz. And what you're going to find out is a lot of little memes and stuff say, go find you a Boaz. All right? If you, if you are single, you need to find you a Boaz. And man, if you're looking for a woman, you need to be a Boaz. All right? All right. So anyway, what ends up happening is this. Um, there's this thing in the Jewish culture called the, the kinsman redeemer, meaning if her husband died, the next closest of kin can redeem her and will own the, all the property of that husband and will you know, basically be able to take the bride as well. Well, Boaz was like, hey, Remain this night, and when morning comes, if he will redeem you good, talking about the, fir- the closest cousin, let him redeem you. But if he, if he does not wish to redeem you, then I, Boaz, will redeem you as the Lord lives, lie down until uh, morning. So look at this. This is what happens. He gets there, and the cousin comes, and the cousin's like, hold on, I get all that property because I'm the kidsman redeemer? I'll take it. And they like, well, Ruth comes with it. He's like, nah, nah, bro, I, I, don't, I ain't trying to have no woman with it, you know, I'm good, I, I got my own, part. so what he does is, and this is weird, but he takes his sandal off, and he throws it on the ground, and y'all like, okay, like, cliffhanger, like, what does that mean? In the context, in the culture, that was a way of saying, I'm not signing a contract, I don't, I'm not in on this, I don't want her, I don't, and I take my shoes off a lot, but I love you, baby, I ain't going nowhere, Brittany, okay, I love you. <laughs> I take my shoes all the time, just be throwing them. But anyway, so look, so look at this, look at this. So when he throws down the sandal, Boaz, mm, Boaz comes and says, I will redeem you. I will take you to be mine. I ain't even worry about the property. I will redeem you. Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. You know how many people in your life have thrown their sandals out on you? You know how many people have taken that sandal off and said, I don't want you. Maybe threw throw it at you, right? Wow. Jesus comes along and says, I want you. Just, just like that opening text, right? When everybody else said, you're not good enough to be my disciple. You're not good enough to go to the next level of school. Jesus comes along and says, I want you. Follow me in the same way. How many people in your life have thrown that sandal down saying, I don't want to be a part of this community? I don't want to be a part of you and all your problems, all your drama. How many, how many times you don't walked into church and just felt like nobody wanted anything to do with you because you're different, because you're this, because you're that? Yo, God wants you. Jesus wants you, so we want you too. We want you too. But Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. Go on to the next one. going to the next one. And Samuel, y'all gonna think I got lazy, but it's a lot of reading, all right? So first and second Samuel really are one book, but it's large split. I just chose to use one example to cover all of it. So we're gonna use 2nd Samuel 7, 12 through 16. Look at this. When your days are complete and you lie down with your fathers, he's talking to David, he says, I will raise up your descendant after you, who will come forth from you, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father to him and he will be a son to me. When he commits iniquity, I will correct him with the rod of man and the strokes of the sons of man. But my loving kindness shall not depart from him as I took it away from Saul, whom I I removed before you. Your house and your kingdom shall endure before me forever. Your throne shall be established forever. So, here's the key part to that. If the, the when we when we at go back yeah you go back to the yeah. when we're looking at the necessary evidence we see and we're talking about the person the person of Jesus Christ concerning his son look what it says next who was born nope go back who was born God, yep who was born Leah I promoted you last service you're about to get demoted. I'm just playing and we need more people serving back there. I'm sorry. Y'all like we, that's not how we treat them. We need more people serving in the, <laughs> all right. I'm so sorry. Cause we need more people back there. My bad Brent. I just, I just knocked your ministry down. <laughs> I ain't never going to be back there. No. So look, who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh. So that means for for Jesus to be the son of God, that is the focus of the gospel of God, he has to come from the bloodline of David, which is why that second Samuel is so important. Now, it's looking at Solomon as well, who's his son, but it is foreshadowing Jesus' Christ. So in in, in the first and second Samuel, we see this about Jesus. Jesus is the son of David. And that matters. That absolutely matters for the gospel of God to be the gospel of God. He couldn't come from any other bloodline. He couldn't be from the bloodline of Dotson, Corey, Collins, Cunningham. That was Corey, Collins, Cunningham. That was good. That was good, right? Look, look, he couldn't be from any other bloodline except for the bloodline of David. So when you're reading your, ge- your, your genealogies, stay up here. When you're reading your genealogies and you're like, this is boring. I don't care who, who made a baby with who and who had a baby with. No, no, no. All of that is to prove to you that Jesus came from this bloodline. All of it's to prove to you that he came from the bloodline. So you have to read those so that you know for sure for yourself and not somebody telling you that Jesus Christ is the Jesus God that like Jesus, is the, Jesus of Nazareth is the Christ that God promised in the prophets, in the pages, right? Going to the next one. All right, First Chronicles is going to cover first, second chronicles and first and second kings, because they're pretty much the same thing. I could dissect why they're a little bit different, but ignore all that. This is what you're going to get, all right? That's all you're getting. All right. So he says to Solomon, "But I will settle him in my house." and in my kingdom forever, and his throne shall be established forever. This is important because David was the father of Solomon. So, whenever God is talking to Solomon about Solomon's descendant being on the kingdom or the throne forever, it's just continuing the promise he made to David because it's the same bloodline, right? So, like, if you promise me that, hey, Rashad, something, 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 your bloodline, something, 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 then You go and say it to Genesis, it's still saying it to me because Genesis, my daughter, is a part of my bloodline. Does that make sense? So Jesus is the throne established forever. He is literally the king of the book of Kings. All right? Going to our next one. Ezra. we, uh, We preached on this a while back. But look at this, uh, the temple had been destroyed, okay, and Ezra felt called, felt, felt, was called and felt led to go and rebuild the temple, all right, rebuild the temple. Now, when the builders had just laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests stood in their apparel with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with symbols to praise the Lord according to the directions of King David of Israel. Now, look at this, this is why this should hit you, the temple wasn't finished it wasn't built. Or it, the foundation had been laid, and they was jumping, shouting, crying. If you go to the next verse, they were welling. Some of you, some of you are in the foundation stage of your Christianity and don't know how to rejoice and shout in that moment right there. Some of you who are uh, are, are a little bit more um, seasoned Christians, per se, look at people in their foundation, and all you want to do is critique every little thing they do wrong, but The foundation is where the rejoicing happened. I see baby Christians come in here, give their life to Christ, and go out there and mess up the next day. And I'm just rejoicing that they gave their life to Christ. And I come alongside them, and I encourage them, and I say, I'm so thankful for what God is doing in your life. Just the foundation of what he's doing in your life is enough for me to celebrate. Amen? Amen. So what happens is Jesus is our temple that has been resurrected or rebuilt. He is the foundation laid of God's temple. Christ alone, cornerstone. That's Jesus. That's the foundation. I think I hit that one. Hey, uh-uh. That sounded pretty good, Genesis. Don't even try me. Don't even come for me. Don't even come. That was decent. That was decent. Worship team, y'all need nothing. No. No. All right. All right. Nehemiah 616 Uh, so the rebuilding of the temple now we're looking at the rebuilding of the walls the protection when all our enemies heard of it This is what Nehemiah said heard of what heard of the walls being rebuilt when all the enemies heard of it And all the nations surrounding us saw it they lost their confidence Why because they recognized that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God look at this y'all Jesus is our rebuilt walls that have been heard of and seen by our enemies, causing them to lose confidence. Have you, since you've been walking with the Lord, have you had some haters look at you differently? Huh? Have you had some haters in your life just kind of look like they thought they could get at you the way they used to get at you, but the stuff that they said before don't even matter to you no more? You're like, yo, you can keep all that. They ain't doing nothing to me. Your words don't mean nothing because Jesus is the wall that has been rebuilt. They're like, what? Exactly. Exactly, right? Like, like, like check, check, this out. check this out. Because of Jesus, people look at me from my past who used to, used to tell me so much about what I was going to be and what I wasn't going to be and where I was going to end up and all this good stuff. And now they look at me and they, their confidence is lost. They can't speak to me the way they used to because of him. It ain't me, but it's what they see him doing in me. And because of those walls, around me. They've lost their confidence. They can't just talk to me in any old kind of way. And then when you start loving them, even when they do that, they confuse. Like, Shola, uh, you blah, 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 and you're like, I'm going to pray for you, bro. What? Why, why would you pray for me? Uh, and I love you. Love me? I just talked about your mama. Mm-mm. I love you. And it puts a coal, burning coal on their heads. Because like, how could you love me when I just dogged you and just did this and just did that? Uh, these walls, baby. These walls. You can't faze me. So these are walls that have been heard of and seen by our enemies. Um, the same way it says when one sinner repents, the angels rejoice in heaven. Guess what they're doing in hell? <laughs> Man, he got another one. You know what I mean? Like that's what's going on. Well, while they rejoicing in heaven... Hey, ho, hey, right? We got another one. And hell, they like, man, just can't win for nothing. That's what's going on. The enemies is losing confidence. Like, I know it said it, but we really going to lose. Like, we really going to lose. Y'all? And you're like, yeah, that's what the Bible said you're going to lose. Y'all? So going on, moving forward. Esther, it's another one. It's another one. If you haven't read the book of Esther, Go read the book of Esther. Only book in the Bible where God's name is not mentioned. It's amazing. But in the process of everything, here's the thing. Uh, Esther was a slave, okay? And, and there was a king, um, and his wife didn't come when he called. So he was done with his wife, and just contextually he could do that, right? He called for his wife, wife didn't come, so he was done with her. So said, I want a new wife. I want a new wife. Esther was a slave, but for whatever reason, Beyonce, Beyonce, God blessed Esther. <laughs>
1: We're
0: going to have an altar call, all right? God blessed Esther to be Beyonce fine, as some pastors would say it, not me. I would say Britney fine, thank you. We will to get through this over now. (laughs) But God blessed Esther to be beautiful in the eyes of the king, though she was a slave, so that he made her the queen. And she was a Jew, okay? What happens is there's this man, I'm just giving you a summary. There's this man who wants to kill all the Jews on this special day. He wants to kill all these, he he gets the king to sign off in a sense on a day to kill all the Jews, right? And Mordecai, Esther's uncle, cousin, weird thing there, um, says, Esther, you need to go talk to your husband and stop this from happening. And Esther goes, well, hold on, hold on. Don't you remember, uh, if I go to the king and I wasn't called He could kill me. Even if I'm his wife, just the way it works, if he calls on me and I don't come, he can kill me. And if I come when he don't call, then he could kill me. So I really don't want to go. But Mordecai says, what if God blessed you maybe to look the way you look in his eyes for such a time as this? Maybe the only reason you look the way you do and that you're in the position you're in is so that you can save his people for such a time as this. Right? And so this is what happens. After she's convinced, she says, Go assemble all the Jews who are found in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maidens also will fast in the same way. And thus, I will go into the, into the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. Anybody seen Rocky Four when Drago says, If he dies, he dies. Right? Same thing. She, she, she's like, If I die, I die. Why? Because you're right. Maybe this is the only reason I'm here, so I'm gonna go intercede. Jesus is our intercessor in the same way. When, you know what? You know how many times you've called somebody, typed out something on Facebook or grouped me and said, Pray for me, and people say they will, but they never do? Jesus always does. Always does on your behalf. Next, next verse. Yep, Job. Uh, Job 19, 25. Many people know or they're familiar with the story of Job. Uh, He went through a lot of suffering. In the midst of his suffering, he says, as for me, I know that my Redeemer lives and that the last, oh, and, and at the last, he will take his stand on the earth. So Jesus is the Redeemer that lives and in the end will stand on the earth. Next up. Psalms 23.1, I took it real light and easy. There's a gazillion ones in the Psalms. I took the easiest one. Yep, I sure did. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Jesus is your shepherd. If you ever want a really neat study uh, and and you kind of OCD like me, go and study a shepherd, like just a Middle Eastern shepherd, and find out all that comes with that word. And when you find that out, that's how you should judge your pastor. That's how you should look for a pastor. Maybe you don't stay here at Church on the Rock, you go somewhere else. Go somewhere else, but use that as your standard because uh, when he used the word shepherd for a specific reason. So even as I, your shepherd, fail you, Jesus, the shepherd, will not fail you. I, in fact, I'm an under-shepherd. I am under-shepherd. The shepherd himself. So I will fail you, but Jesus won't. He is our shepherd. Proverbs, uh, there's a lot in Proverbs as well. I chose this one just because I like it. Trust in the Lord, Jesus, with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Jesus and Jesus will make your paths straight. Uh, Jesus is the wisdom of God. There are many texts in the book of Proverbs regarding the wisdom of God. Jesus is that wisdom. It all points to him. Next up, we have Ecclesiastes. This is one, a book that is really weird and, and, and it's a challenge, but all it, it tells you that everything under the sun is pointless. Everything under the sun is pointless. Your money pointless your job, your education, all the things you attain under the sun are pointless at some point they are vain. So if you if you if you're striving to be the best this this and this just for this earth, it will fail you. It will fail you. You will be left like with just emptiness. He says it's like grasping for air. Has anybody ever tried to grab the air? It, right? Like just uh, that's what it's like when you're trying to find um, your, your, your satisfaction and your fulfillment in the things of the world. You're grasping. It don't even make sense. How do I look right now? I look crazy, right? Like I'm trying to grab the air. It doesn't make any sense. So look at this. I love this verse. When he's done with all the things he says is pointless. And this is the one that broke, this broke me this week, so I'm going to try to like, get through everything. He says, the conclusion when all has been heard is... Fear God and keep His commandments because this applies to everyone. Look what Jesus is. Jesus is our conclusion when all has been heard L- let me Let me just take a moment. look at this. I heard so many things this past week, a negativity, whether it be um, bad news from a church member, bad news from the world, whether, whether it be just bills or or you know. Don't qualify for this or whatever it is. I've heard so much, but, but when all is heard, when everything is said and done, Jesus is my conclusion. Have you ever seen Jesus that way? I've never actually said it that way that no matter what, when I wake up and I have this long day, of challenges in my marriage, in my parenting, in my church family, in the community, in the world, no matter what, at the end of the day, when I lay my head down, Jesus, you are my conclusion. Oh, if that doesn't change something in you, right? If that doesn't give you hope to lay down in peace. How many of you, like, literally go to sleep and are still thinking in your sleep about all the worries of the world? What happens when Jesus is your conclusion? When he's the conclusion. Then you, you lay down peacefully, knowing that he, no matter what, what I wake up to tomorrow, he's got it. He's the conclusion. Mm. So that one, that one changed my life. All right, Song of Solomon. Uh, Mary, folks, you need to go read that for yourself. We got kids in here. I can't go into all the Song of Solomon stuff, all right? But um, <laughs> the Song of Solomon, beautiful book, but this is what we see. The wife, the, the, the bride says, I am my beloved's, and his desire is for me. Uh, Jesus is the groom who desires for us. I'm just going to leave it there. You want some interesting Bible reading? Go read the Song of Solomon and study what all the little metaphors mean. I'm going to leave it there. All right. Isaiah. There's many in Isaiah. I chose this one. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, my servant, will justify the many, and he will bear their iniquities. Jesus is the suffering servant who bears our iniquities. Going to the next prophet, Jeremiah 23:6. We'll send them out to you. I'm sorry. All right. In his days, she was like this. Ah, you changed it already. Like, <laughs> all right. In his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will do- dwell securely. And this is his name by which he, Jesus, will be called the Lord our righteousness. So Jeremiah made it easy. Jesus is, and I, Jesus is. All right, Rashad. Jesus is our righteous Savior. Jeremiah twenty three six. Next up, Lamentations. So this is the same book. Uh, excuse me, this is another book from Jeremiah in which he's known as the weeping prophet. There's been destruction, all the things came true, and he's weeping. He's a weeping prophet. There's a whole bunch of pain in this book, and you read a whole bunch of pain in these five chapters, but right in the middle of the five chapters, so one, two, three, four, five, three is the middle. Right in the middle we read this, the Lord's loving kindness indeed never cease, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord." Lord." is my portion, says my soul, therefore I have hope in him. And that goes on to tell us that Jesus is our never-ceasing loving kindness, our never-failing compassion, and our portion. Keep going. Uh, Ezekiel. Therefore, he he tells uh, Ezekiel this. He says, therefore, Ezekiel, prophesy and say to them, thus says the Lord God, behold, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out your graves my people, I, and, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. So this one right here, that's where we get our, we call out the dry bones come alive song. It comes from Ezekiel 37. And Jesus is the resurrection of dry bones out of their graves. Um, my, my girls say it at home all the time when I'm being very fleshly or when I'm not being very Christian, like they're saying, you're being a dry bone, right? And weird. You're being a dry bone, David, right? But, um, He he raises up the dry bones. And if you read Ezekiel 37, you'll have a better understanding of that terminology. But he resurrects the dry bones out of their graves or their dead situations. Daniel, we're almost finished. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, who did not believe in God but saw something, and I'm not going to tell you what he saw. you got to go read it for yourself. But he saw something that made him say this, and he was not a believer. He did not believe, and yet he said this. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise, exalt, and honor the king of heaven, For all his works are true and his ways just, and he is able to humble those who walk in pride. Jesus is the king in heaven who humbles those who walk in pride. If you're not humbled on this side of heaven, when judgment day comes, you will be humbled. Period. Period. So, Hosea, now we're in the final 12, right? The final 12 minor prophets. In Hosea, it says, then the Lord said to me, go again Love a woman who was loved by her husband, yet an adulteress. In other words, he went to Hosea the prophet and said, I know your wife is cheating on you. I know your wife is cheating on you. And I still want you to go and love her the same way the Lord loves the sons of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love raisin cakes. You need to read that for yourself. You need to read that for yourself. I'm not explaining it. You better go figure out what it means. But look at this. Jesus is the bridegroom who remains faithful to the adulterous wife. Stop. I'm going to take a quick moment. Quick moment. How many have sinned, in the last? once again, in the last year? All right? Every hand should be up. Okay. You cheated on your, your, your Lord, your groom. You cheated on him. You cheated on him the same way as a husband or a wife having sex with another person that could destroy the marriage. Yeah, you've cheated on your Lord. You've cheated on your husband. And every time you sin, you cheat again. And he's still faithful to you and doesn't leave you and doesn't want a divorce. But you tell me you're ready to love the way the Lord loves. Well, there you go. There you go. You want to mimic him? You want to imitate him? in your marriage, and your friendships, and your work relate? Okay, okay. Even, even when you repeatedly, willingly cheat on him, willing, you're not, oops, I did it again. You're waking up choosing to cheat on him. You wake up plotting, how can I cheat on him? And he remains loving you. Right? That Jesus is the bridegroom who remains faithful to his adulterous wife. All of you and me. Next up, Joel 2.12. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart and with fasting, weeping and mourning. And then the next one I, I saw, and it come and it will come about that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be delivered. We can stop there. This is what we get from Joel. Uh, give me yep. Jesus is the name on which whomever turns, like it says in 2.12, and calls, like it says in 13, will be delivered. That turn is a repent. That call is, is the confessing of the name. So we know this to be true. Amanda Williams helped me with that one. Everybody get up for Amanda. She don't like, she look, she don't like that. Aha. Uh-huh. All right, going to the next one, Go on to the next one. Amos 7.7. Thus he showed me, and behold, the Lord was standing by a vertical wall with a plumb line in his hand. Keep going. The Lord said to me, what do you see, Amos? And I said, a plumb line. Then the Lord said, behold, I'm about to put a plumb line in the midst of my people. I will spare them no longer. Go to my point. Jesus is the plumb line among his people who also meets the standards on their behalf. What's a plumb line, Rashad? Go read your Bible. Go read your Bible. Look it up. And if you can't find it, then ask me. I'm pushing you to do some of this on your own. But just know Jesus is the plumb line. So that should help. Next one, Obadiah, Uh, for the day of the Lord draws near on all the nations. As you have done it, it will be done to you. Your dealings will return on your own head. Going to that, Jesus is the Lord whose day draws near on all nations. Jesus is our Avenger. Jonathan Woodring, help me with this. That's why we got the Avenger part. But he is the Lord that draws near, Uh, Obadiah 115. Jonah, I'm rushing a little bit because I want to be careful of your time. Uh, The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the stomach of the fish for three days and three nights. Uh, The Lord then commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah up onto dry land. So Jesus is like Jonah. Jonah, who was in the stomach of the fish three days and three nights. Jesus was in the earth three days and three nights. And in the same way that the fish vomited, Jonah, the earth, it didn't vomit, but he was resurrected from the earth, all right? So uh, that's a, a, like a typology, like it's still a foreshadowing there. Jonah 2.9, but I will sacrifice to you with the voice of thanksgiving, that which I have vowed I will pay. Salvation is from the Lord. So Jesus is the salvation that is from the Lord. David Nussbaumer, thank you for helping me with that. Go to the next one, Micah 5, 2. But as for you, Bethlehem, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you one will go forth for me to be the ruler of Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. What you find in Micah is that Jesus is the one who will go forth from Bethlehem, and he was born in Bethlehem, uh, to be the ruler of Israel. Thank you, Don, for that one. She also helped me with this next one. Behold, on the mountains, the feet of him who brings good news, who announces peace. Celebrate your feasts, O Judah. Pay your vows, for never again will the wicked one pass through you. He is cut off completely. Jesus is our peace who completely cuts off the wicked one. We're almost done here. Stay with me. Habakkuk. 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 Say that with me. Habakkuk. All right. Habakkuk. Habakkuk. Right. Habakkuk. Are you not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, my Holy One? Will you not die? You, O Lord, have appointed them to judge, and you, O rock, see that's the church on the rock part, have established them to correct. This is what Jesus is. Jesus is our everlasting, holy rock. The reason we say Church on the Rock instead of Church on the Everlasting Holy Rock is because it would be a long domain name. Please go to www.churchontheeverlastingholyrockbb.com. Yeah, ain't nobody going to that website. Church on the Rock, right? Zephaniah 317, the Lord your God is in your midst. A victorious warrior, he will exalt over you with joy. He will be quiet in his love. He will rejoice over you with shouts or singing of joy. Uh, Jesus is our Lord in our midst who rejoices over us with shouts or singing of joy. Thank you, Leah. Moving on, Haggai, I will overthrow the thrones of kingdoms and destroy the power of the kingdoms of the nations, and I will overthrow the the chariots and the riders, and the horses and their riders will go down, everyone by the sword of another. On that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will take you Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, my servant, declares the Lord, and I will make you like a signet ring, for I have chosen you, declares the Lord of hosts. Host, excuse me. Jesus is God's chosen signet ring. If you don't know what that is, go read it for yourself. I also said he was the finisher of unfinished homework. I had a person, uh, and she's not in here to defend herself, but I gave her the assignment. She actually got it to me this morning, so I apologize for putting her name up there, but Kristen High, and she laughed about it, didn't get it to me till this morning, so I had to go to somebody else, and they finished, and I was like, man, that's kind of like Jesus. Like, when we don't do it, Jesus do it, right? But she she laughed, and we all laughed, and y'all didn't laugh, so Forget y'all. All right. Ze- Zechariah 14.9, and the Lord will be king over all the earth in the day. The Lord will be the only one and his name, the only one. Look at this right here. Jesus is simply the only name of the only Lord and the only king of all the earth. And let's keep it moving here. Malachi 4.2, we're finishing up right here. Thank you for staying like so in on this. Uh, Malachi says, but for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, and you will go forth and skip about like... Say it for me. All right, I said calves last time. Uh, like calves <laughs> from the stall. Look at this. Jesus is our son of righteousness. Worship team, make your way up here. Here comes the challenge. Uh, here comes the major challenge of all of this, all right? You've just seen 39 examples from the Old Testament of who Jesus is if you have trusted him as your Lord and Savior. I'm going to take a quick moment to explain something. I've never, ever seen him as my conclusion when all is said and done. You see, a lot has been said and done in the past week. And when I came across that verse, it was the only thing that pushed me into another day to say that Jesus is my conclusion when all has been heard. That gave me the strength to move forward and keep pushing. I'm praying that those of you who know Jesus, I'm praying you met him in a new way this morning. Those of you who don't know Jesus, I'm praying this has at least dropped a seed in your soul to want to know more. And if it's over your head or something like that, call me. I will make the time to tell you about our Lord and Savior. And I mean that for anybody in here, okay? I don't care if you give, don't give, come to church, don't come to church. It's that important that you know, at least know who he is so that you can make your own decision. So as we get ready to sing what a beautiful name it is, recognize that Jesus was the name to describe all these things, and all these things are for you. I think one of the most devastating ones was that he is the bridegroom who remains faithful during your unfaithfulness. I don't know if you've ever been cheated on in your life by a boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, whatever, but it's hard to remain faithful after that. It's hard to make a decision to keep loving after that. Every time I I look at my wife, I see that same grace of somebody who continued loving me while I continuously cheated over and over and over and over again and stuck it out until I, I got it right. But we know that's not the norm, right? But for Jesus, it's the only way. What a beautiful name it is. Jesus, what a beautiful name it is. So please, stand up with us so we can sing this song. Sing it like you believe it. And thank you for for bearing with me through a longer sermon, but something that I think was very needed for us.
1: You were the word at the beginning.
0: I see, um, I see some things moving among the people in here. I see some, a lot of tears, that's important. We wanna make sure you, you leave here with some challenges for yourself to actually make some transformation. Really quick, remember always that the Old Testament points to Jesus. A lot of us think it's boring, but there's so much power in there when you're looking forward to Jesus. Number two, Always look for new ways that the Bible reveals Jesus to you. I say new with quotations because it's not new. It's always been there, but it'll be new to you in the same way that I saw that he's my conclusion. That is God talking to you. A lot of us say, I've never heard God speak. Open up your Bible. He's speaking. It's a living word. And then lastly, since the gospel of God is based on the work of his son, always treasure the beautiful name of Jesus. It is the foundation of the gospel. I am praying for everybody in here because I know there's a lot of brokenness going on in our lives, but Jesus is your conclusion too, okay? I know there's a lot of things that have been told to me and things that have never been spoken that's going on in your life right now. Addictions you're struggling with, demons you're fighting, enemies that are up against you, but we've went through 39 ways that Jesus is for you. And I want you to believe that. I want you to rest in that peace because it surpasses all understanding. So please, let this be more than just a a, a long, 54-minute sermon over 39 books. Let it be words that will transform your life today. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you, Father, for the wonderful, powerful, beautiful name of your son Jesus may everybody in this room call on his name not just for salvation father but for the reassurance day today that he is the conclusion I thank you for my brothers and sisters I thank you for this worship team I thank you for this ministry this gathering that you have put here in Brownsburg May we lean on each other, but most importantly, may we lean on you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You guys have a beautiful week.
1: This podcast is a ministry of Church on the Rock in Brownsburg, Indiana. If you want any more information about our church family, our pastor, or where we meet, please visit our website, www.churchontherockbb.com.